And boom, we're back. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode of the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast in the world. Before introducing today's very special guest, can I please ask that if you are enjoying what we're putting out there, that you subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. And if you want to follow along on the journey on social media, please follow us at Instagram at Wandering Bear Sports or on Facebook at Wandering Bear Sports. Today's episode is brought to you each and every week by Caffeine Gum Australia. So I first tried Caffeine Gum when I played at the Melbourne Rebels in 2015 and immediately fell in love with it. It's easily the best caffeine supplement I've ever had for training or games. And even to this day, even though I don't play anymore, I still have it before every gym session and every training session, particularly early mornings. Comes in three good flavors and with 100 milligrams of caffeine, it really packs a punch as well. So try some today at www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. Today on the podcast, we sit down with Mr. Brendan Hartman. So Brendan plays rugby for Manly in the Shoot Shield, but in his, in his other life, he's the general manager of Australian swimwear brand Budgie Smuggler. So I was really excited to talk to BJ on the podcast, and he was incredibly generous and insightful with his answers. So this is a little bit different to the podcast I would normally do. Uh, He goes into some great detail on what Budgie Smuggler have done right, what they've done wrong, lessons they've learned along the way. Um, He gives us a bit of an insight into their marketing strategy and some of their plans. And uh, to be honest, as someone who's interested in business, uh, I took so much out of it that I'm going to apply to my own business and my own life. And I hope you do too. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Mr. Brendan Hartman. How are you, mate? How is everything? Um, mate, it's all right. We, we can kind of still operate with our warehouse, like sending orders and stuff. So yeah, kind of keeps us um, a lot of casual stuff and out home. Yeah. Um, well, that, mate, that's good. I, I guess... Um, I'm not sure if you've seen any of these, but kind of how I try and do it is like conversation style. Like, so just you and me talking as if we're at the pub. I got a few things. I got a few things I want to ask you, but you know, basically just see how it goes, mate. So cool with that. Cool. cool. How's the lighting and stuff? Is that fine? Yeah, it's fine. It's all good. Most like barely any. I barely get any on YouTube. I just put it out there just in case. It's mostly just the audio. So awesome. So. How are you in, um, sorry, what were we going to say? How, how are you finding lockdown, mate? How's it been? How's, um, how's, it, how's it going? Like, what do you make of it all? Um, I, part, of me, part of me feels a little bit guilty because um, I know a lot of people have been affected, like, really harshly. Like, my mum, my for example, like, she runs a beauty salon. Um, she's been shut since the start, like, completely shut. Um, but I mean, to be honest, apart from, um, not being able to go anywhere outside of work, I've, I've still been able to come into work every day, um, and sort of punch out a, at least a sort of six to eight hours a day of just admin really. It's, it's been, um, yeah, like I said, I feel a bit guilty because my work life hasn't been too affected. Uh, has, um, has it affected business at all for you guys? Uh, directly, it's just affected our physical stores. So we've got a store in Bondi and a store in Manly. 
yeah. both of them are sharp. Um, convenient-ish timing with the Bondi one because we were renovating it anyway. Um, yeah. But now, obviously, we can't finish those renos until the construction um, restrictions ease. But um, we're, we're meant to open tomorrow at the Bondi store, so that just means it's been delayed a little bit, and that's fine. So just a couple of weeks or, or you know, depending yeah. on how it all yeah. ends. And then, yeah, pretty much. And then, look, online's still fine. Um, and given it's winter as well, look, there's plenty of silver lining for us i mean it could be worse we, we could be in the middle of summer in our peak um period and we're in lockdown and no one's buying stuff so um kind of lucky that it's happening through the middle of winter for us and then on the flip side we've got a, a big part of the business that's growing in the uk and europe yeah uh, and they're fine they're, they've had some of their biggest weeks and days um ever so they're they're kind of carrying carrying the team at the moment, which is helpful. Mate, um, I saw you got named as a cash pile medal finalist. So of, of all your accomplishments, that's got to be out there considering I think every year for the last four years <laughs> I've, I've seen you and you're like, I'm not playing, I'm not playing. So how did that come about? Mate, I, I was saying to Dad, because um, Dad saw it online before I did, um, well, the so, you didn't even, so you didn't even know no, that no, was no, sorry. Sorry, I, I knew it was a thing I didn't realise there was going to be like that much of a thing about it um, yeah. to be honest I thought the conversation was more around Hunter um, the other Marlins boy that was nominated um, but I, I said to him I was like it's funny because like 10 years ago um, you know when I was turning 21 like I would have given everything for this like this would have been no it was a, a dream like a goal to like be nominated for this thing and now it's like coming to the end of it wasn't really going to lace them up this year again for the third or fourth year in a row just going I don't know if I've got it in me anymore um slot in for four games and like when the guy when they told me on the phone um when Declan rang I was kind of like are you serious <laughs> how, does system, how does this system work like I played well, four games and, and nominated but yeah I mean it, it's pretty cool like as funny as funny as it is for me where it's not actually an ambition it's more of, like this is just quite cool it's quite funny now so um pretty stoked internally um but yeah I, I dare say that um there's probably more, potentially some more deserving players in the rest of the comp. <laughs> well, mate, I'm, I'm happy for you. I, I think I played first grade for like 14 years and I did not even get close to being nominated once. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's been, that's been my last, yeah, that's been my last eight, nine years. It's like it's never been even in in question. Mate, it's so, it's so good. But apart from yeah. that, how's the season been for the Manly boys? Um, it's been a, yeah, it's, it's been a tough one. Um, it started uh, similar to last year where um, like Jimmy Omson was named our captain for the second year in a row um, after not playing last year. So he was named last year as captain and then uh, round three or four had like this a bizarre sort of knee injury, patella tendon um, injury. Um, and that put him out for the rest of the year because last year was a short year for COVID. Yeah. Um, so lost our captain early. Um, Sam Lane um, hurt his shoulder last season, like round one or two. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's immediately two super influential players in our group, and in a key position like ten and fifteen. Um, and a similar thing happened this year, dude. Like Jimmy again coming back. Um, 
named as captain again and then last trial um, didn't didn't get through it. Um, uh, I think it was a ruptured pec. It was Tori's pec. That's serious um, injury. Serious yeah, injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. like, both of them are both freak accidents as well. Like, they're not – that's not like a hammy, like you're underdone with conditioning. Like, that's a – they're just freak impact injuries. Yeah. Um, so that was that was pretty disheartening, um, losing, like, a, a big piece to the puzzle. Um, again, Laney, Laney was still coming back mostly through this year and um, – Fair change in personnel as well. A couple of people um, didn't come back or moved overseas or did bits and pieces. But I think, with look, we've got a good group of boys off the field. Um, I think there's just probably more around that sort of rugby knowledge and rugby IQ that um, probably needs to pick up a bit. Um, I chatted to Declan from Shoot Shield yesterday or the week, uh, day before. Um, and I think our summary of it all was... Um, we've never really been too far off who we're playing, um, yeah. but there's there's really small moments that get missed, um, and those small moments are happening too frequently. Is yeah. literally they're, they're tiny, tiny details, but they're just happening so often that the scoreline just gets you know unreachable. Um, yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's, it's been a tough one. Morale's, morale's a, still high. The boys are still keen. Still keen to get to get some footy under their belt if we get back from this break, but um, yeah, it's, it's been have they tough. been doing anything with you guys like Zoom wise over the the lockdown period, or is it just left to your own devices? Like, how, how's that all working for you guys? Not not so much some Zoom stuff. There's we've obviously got the you know the usual footy group chats and that sort of stuff going. How's everyone going and whatnot? Yeah. Um, and boys have been pairing up and going off and. Um, and doing their sort of doing some running at the fields and some kicking and passing and stuff. So, um, you know, that's kind of about all we can do officially. Um, yeah. yeah. For the first part, we're kind of getting together in groups of 10 as allowed, um, sort of chucking a footy round, playing a bit of touch. And then like, um, it'd usually just be split into backs and forwards at that stage. So the forwards would be at another park. We'd be at another park. Um, we'd go through the backline stuff and that was about it. But, yeah, with the tighter ones, it's more just find a mate and do some running. It's it's mainly just about keeping fit at the moment because yeah. season could, could come back and it's really like it's once you lose your fitness, you know, it's gone. You're telling me. I never have. Yeah, it. mate. I had a run with Laney the other day. We hadn't run for two weeks and it was like we hadn't run in months. So Yeah, it's uh, amazing how quickly it goes. Hey, um. One of the things I really wanted to ask you, bro, is for those that don't know, how did you guys actually start Budgie Smuggler? Because it was kind of by accident, wasn't it? So Adam, so Adam Linforth is the owner of Budgie. Yeah. Um, he actually bought it off two of his mates. Um, they were in the year of him at school. Uh, they they turned up to a barbecue, like a party afternoon barbecue thing with literally a pair of like speedo style swimwear from Rebel, and they hand wrote. Um, budgie smuggler on the back in texter and yeah. literally that was it someone thought it was funny they said oh you guys should do that so they did um, they looked into the whole trademark thing and um, they got some prints made up uh, sorry some like templates made up to have logos printed and literally yeah. plain pairs with a logo um, founded by two dudes or heavily involved with two dudes um, Tom Malone who I don't know what he's up to but now he might have moved on but he was head of sport at Channel 9 um, and then Lockie Harris, who um, 
well, there's a few notable things in his life, but the main one is he was Kevin Rudd's press secretary, um, or yeah, one of his staffers leading into Kevin 07. Yeah. I think Kevin 07 was actually Lockie's campaign. Um, okay, so he's good at marketing. Yeah, but their vision for the brand was just a bunch of dudes getting loose in minimal clothing. Yeah. Um, so Kevin becoming prime minister was kind of a liability on Lockie's books. So he, he offloaded it to Adam and we ran it. Um, we ran it from Linny's apartment for, I don't know, years. Like, yeah, so long. We've, we've only just moved out to a new warehouse now um, in the last sort of three to four months. Um, but, yeah, it made, it's just been a bit of a project for ads. It was, in, it was kind of just in his back pocket for ages. He had a full-time job working with AIM Mentoring. Uh, they did mentoring program for programs for Aboriginal high school kids. Yep. Um, one of his best mates started that. So he had Budgie on the side. I joined in just over eight years ago now. So, so um, how far how far after the start of it did you jump in? So ads um, officially 2003, 2004, those two boys started at Lock In Com. Um, and ads bought it off them around 2008. Um, and I jumped, I came in around 2000. 13. Um, and so did you come in as the general manager or what was your role? No, so mate, at the time, Budgie was small. I'd just finished uni. Um, I'd finished I'd finished a bit of proper footy and kind of that was done. And so I was coming back to club footy and just needed a casual job and it just fluked it. I'd organised some custom pairs for the Marlins. Yeah. Uh, turned up to pick them up. Just got chatting to Adam Um yeah, had mutual interests and both got along really well. And then he kind of said, oh, mate, give us your number. I'll give you a call later in the week, see what you're up to. Rang me that night and said, what are you doing tomorrow? Um, started spending orders. Like, we're, talking, we're talking eight years ago now, Budgie. We would have had 10 orders a day um, through like a busy period. So uh, there wasn't too much to do. I'd go in for a couple hours a day, send some orders, order some stock, post some stuff on our Instagram and go home. Um, and that was about it for, um, for the first sort of couple of months. And then it just sort of started getting a bit of momentum. Footy teams were getting on board and it kind of grew from there. Um, just he decided that there was a full-time role in it. So I kind of just had that sort of on my plate, sort of on my own for a bit. Ads would go off to work. Um, and then he'd come back in the Arvo. We'd chatted about how the day went. And I'd go home. Um, now we've got... Uh, 11 full-time staff here in Sydney um, and five overseas in the UK and France. Um, so it's grown. It's grown a lot and it's, it's been pretty awesome to be part of and watch something grow and like being able to contribute to something and actually see your own efforts as like what the result that, that produces. It's really cool. Yeah. I, I, so I didn't know. I thought Budgie Smuggler was a relatively new company. So um, you know the term, I guess the term overnight success never is never really reality. It's always like a 10 to 12 year thing. What what do you think it was that took you from just part-time to actually going, you know, this is this is how I'm gonna make my living? Like hmm. what what um, was it? I don't know. I think part of me was just, you know, then I was a 21, 22 year old kid just playing footy for Manly. Um, so didn't really have any grand plans for life or whatever. I'd finished a, a business admin and sports management degree. 
Um, and again, didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. Um, part of me for a long time wanted to get into the like um, athlete management or sponsorship side of things. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It just kind of grew, and like because I had so many like touch points across the business, um, it was like a, just a natural learning progression of how to run a small business. Um, and then it, it kind of got to the point where Adam sort of realised that you know having someone around on it, focusing on it all the time, was a, a good thing. Um, and we kind of just scaled it from there. It, it kind of never really got to a moment where I was like, "Hang on, there's something here." Um, it, it just it just grew, and before I sort of realised, like before I sit down and look back, yeah, there was never a moment where I go, "This is what I'm going to do." It's more just a gradual thing. It just became part of my life. Um, I mean, even even a few years ago, I still had family saying, when are you going to get a real job? Um, really? And, you, so and yeah, you guys, yeah, to, from the outside, it looks like you guys are killing it. And even your family was saying that? Well, even not, not so much in the last recent few years. It's more earlier. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, to a point when it was like, when are you going to get a real job? Um, well, go on. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a growing retail business that's global. I mean, and there's no ceiling for this kind of business. Like, um, the the growth opportunities are, are endless. Um, and we just enjoy making stuff as well. Like, we make all of our swimwear here in Australia. Yeah. Um, sadly, there's a few items of clothing that just can't be done here. Um, so we're trying to change that. Um which is, again, isn't just an awesome thing. We, like, we just enjoy making things. So the more things we can make here, you get it. Like, it's a bit of satisfaction around doing that. So one thing um, that we're trying to do at the moment is, so underwear is really tough to make in Australia. Um, exactly. There are places to do it. Um, but since, mainly since Bonds left Australia, they, they went overseas, um, there's a lot of machinery that was, that was just thrown out and that doesn't exist in Australia anymore. So one thing we're working on at the moment is to bring that manufacturing back and yeah. set up, set up like a, a swimwear and underwear manufacturing hub in Sydney and things like this. So like there's awesome projects that are happening that are much bigger than us as a company. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it gives a good feeling of satisfaction sort of doing this sort of stuff. Well- why um, did you always intend to manufacture in Australia or did, did you ever explore the Asian opportunities with, um, with the factories over there? Like what, what was the thoughts behind it? Um, so a lot of it was driven um, by Adam initially. So all these decisions were largely made before um, I came on board. Um, and, but we've, we've just been the ones to drive it since then. Um, the decision was originally around, so going overseas, for example, um, there's obviously a communication um, barrier to some extent, depends which areas you go to. Um, but the biggest, the biggest factors were back then that the time, um, the production time. So getting a stock order of say a thousand pairs of budgies at the time would have taken maybe eight, maybe 12 weeks, depending on what you're ordering. Um, whereas here in Australia, we can turn around a stock order of a thousand pairs in less than two weeks. So, um, so whilst the, um, the the upfront cost might be less, the time cost sort of outweighs 
that? Yeah. So then it goes into like a whole cash flow sort of thing. It's like you got to, you know, fork out the cash up front when you don't, yeah. you can't start selling that product for 12 weeks. There's a quarter of the year gone. Um, so like in terms of a cash flow thing, it was kind of that, yeah, the product's more expensive to make here. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad we kept it here because just advancements in technology and manufacturing now, um, the, the cost that we can make pairs for here in Sydney now is only a couple of dollars more than what it would cost making overseas. Okay. Um, you know, just we've got some machines now that do all the laser cutting. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have thought that, like, we'd put people out of jobs by getting more machinery. It's not the case. Like, we've Wayne, um, who was just a, a local guy that was cutting our stuff from the beginning, um, he's working more hours um, and earning more with this machine. So we've, instead of him cutting them by hand now, he's the one that's pushing the buttons. Um, he, he can cut more more pairs per hour than he could by hand and more accurately. Um, so th there's a few there's a few good things that have come um, from keeping it in Australia. I mean, and again, a quality control thing is a massive one as well. Like imagine waiting 12 weeks for a stock order and like they turn up the wrong colour. Um, yeah. So like if we're making smaller runs here, um, we can get on top of like any errors that pop up uh, really quick. Very quickly, yeah. Um, yeah. And, it, and, it, and then it's, it's a, we jump in the car and we drive out to the factory and sort of hand them over and say, hey, what happened here? Um, you can't really do that overseas. No, um, but particularly in China, particularly at the moment with the way the world is, it's, you, you can't even fly over there. Can't leave the country. Um, yeah, so there's a few, few positives. Um, and then that opened up the, the door for like our custom custom swimwear side of things for surf clubs and schools and whatnot, where a lot of the big um, sort of people that manufacture overseas, they sort of hold the bigger groups like schools and surf clubs to like really high minimum order quantities. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we don't have really, we don't have, we'll make one of something if people wanted it. Um, yeah. Turnarounds quicker. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a few reasons I'm really glad we kept it here. Um, yeah. What about your marketing strategy? I was having a bit of a look on Instagram and, you know, this is only my take on it, but there's like a bit of a pirate ship kind of, not common man, but like every every man type strategy, every woman type strategy behind it. Yeah. Is there, is there a strategy behind it or did it just happen organically? A bit, a bit of both. We sort of, so like if you look at, you know, let's say, um, well, no, speed, let's go look at Speedo. Um, a lot of a lot of their marketing and a lot of their audience are like proper swimmers, like they're athletes. Um, you know, they're they're the ones sponsoring the Olympic team at the moment, and and that's their market. They've nailed it. Um, but like that doesn't really cater for everyone in the country. That like it, that's like the top couple of percent um, in the country. If you're talking about athletes or just people in general, um, and then you know, there's there's other brands. Um, take Aussie Bum, for example. Um, a lot of the marketing is directed at, you know, dudes that are quite shredded. Um, they, they, and they market the Aussie lifestyle overseas really well. Yeah. Um, but again, like not everyone's shredded. Like um, it's not a realistic body type. Like how many of us even look? I don't think I've ever looked like that in the peak of my footy fitness. Yeah, you and me um, both, yeah like it's not, it's not a thing. It's, it's, yeah, marginally. It's more, it's more rare than it is common. Yeah, 
Yeah. And then so we kind of just went, well, like we're, we're just average dudes. We like, we like footy. We like beers. Like let's, we'll just target this towards people like us. Um, and our sort of analogy of that was we're targeting like the top of the bell curve. As like you've got your you've got your athletes in the top couple of percent because like we're targeting the top of that bell curve, um, and it's just your everyday human, your everyday dude. Um, they'll go for a swim, like they might, you know, have a bit of a bit of a mud gut sort of situation going on, but you know, so be it. Like our whole attitude to the swimwear thing is like it's not really about the rig um, in the pair; it's more about the bloke um, or the person in the pair. So. Um, and we've kind of done like it's it's the person that leads the team song that everyone loves. Like, yeah, yeah that, and that's the kind of bloke that everyone wants to get around. So that were the, they were the people we targeted. Now you've done some really clever and fun things, like um, the most ordinary rig competitions. Tell us, tell us about that because I, I could imagine when you first tried that, it's, it's like a little bit of a risk, maybe. Like, you, was there a little bit of nerves about it? Uh, it's funny how it came about. So we, 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 so our office used to be in Manly and it was just an apartment. Um, and we, we got a call from some young fellas, one Arvo, and they said, go, we're, we're in the car. We're on our way over. Um, we didn't know if you had a shop or not. Can we come pick up stuff from your office? We're like, yeah, guys come in. They turned up and they were just a bunch of young kids from Penrith. Um, fresh rats, fresh, fresh rats. Um, like, yeah, but they were legends. Um, but we're like, oh, what's what's the occasion? Why do you need them so quick? They're like, oh, we're flying out to schoolies tomorrow. Um, where we've been getting so ripped for this week away, and we were kind of like, guys, like, if this is what 17 year old boys are like focusing on getting ripped, um to like go on a holiday, it's kind of like, guys, I think you're missing like a big point in life is just to enjoy yourself. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of the, the driving one for it. We're like, fuck, we've got to do something about this. Um, but we've always wanted to do a swimwear parade and just didn't, we didn't want to like go down the same route of something. And so like naturally our brand is always taking the piss out of things. And so we just wanted, so then we figured we'd take the piss out of the Victoria's Secret show, um, which is the polar opposite of the blokes that we put in these swimwear. They're like glamorous models. These dudes are just ordinary blokes. Um, and that was literally how it, how it was formed. Like we go, how do we take, take the piss out of something famous or well-known and do it in a cheeky way? Um, kind of floated the idea at the pub a few times. And that's where a lot of our ideas come from is just, conversations with people normal people that go yeah that would be funny um and and it was born we sort of did a social media campaign around you know nominating a mate or nominating yourself we set up a questionnaire that people could fill out and so we do like a profile on people that nominated themselves um you know like any hidden talents and you know what's what's your perfect date and all this sort of stuff like the, the usual stuff that people have a laugh at um and then, uh, yeah, nominated a top ten, and we flew them in from around the country. So, um, so you we, spent a bit. On, you spent a bit on it. We did. We did. Um, but the beauty of being such a small business um, is we can kind of just do that without having to get it approved from like corporate above or whatever. It's like a, it's private business. Like, there's 
if it, if Adam says yes, we're allowed to do it, then so be it. Like, um, yeah, there's no one really to, to answer to. There's no stakeholders. There's no oh, there is a board, but um, it's not a big one. Um, but yeah, we can do this sort of stuff, and it doesn't really have to make too much sense financially. Yeah. It just has but to make sense on some level. So it's so I can imagine with that kind of thing, you have this fun idea, and the boss is like. Yeah, that's fun. Let's just do it and see what happens. And then Pretty all much. of a sudden, it, it's become this thing. Did, you didn't do it last year due to COVID, but it'll. I imagine it'll. Didn't do it last year due to COVID. We've done it. We've done it three. Ooh, what have we done? We've definitely done it twice um, in Sydney. We've done two Australian legs, a UK leg, and uh, we've done an Ashes of Ordinary. So the top three from Australia versus the top three from that UK event. Um, and they all came here and they competed as a team. Um, they had, we split it into segments. Um, each team had to, and same structure for the um, Australia or UK event. The first segment was the um, Fallen Angels segment. So they had to create their own angel wings out of whatever. So literally straight from Victoria's Secret, had to make their own angel wings. People, like, people made big blow-up cutouts of like barbecue chicken wings and like bin chickens and things like that where um, someone actually made like five foot high feathered white angel wings like with a harness over the shoulders. Um, people made them out of VB cartons. Like that was so funny. Like it was so, it was so Australian. It was ridiculous. Um, and you've never seen so many of the same dude in one room either. Like all of the nominees at each event we've done are such similar people. Um, it was awesome. And like you could imagine, like I said, you want the bloke that sings the team song. Imagine 10 of those dudes in the same room. They were just immediately best mates. So um, we've created this weird like a fraternity or alumni. of all You've created years. a community. It's a community. Yeah. And it, it, we, we just, like it, it was all originally around just wanting to change the perception of who could wear swimwear. Um, like, who the, who the fuck says you can't? Like, it's only really, like, upstairs that sort of your brain goes on, oh, no, I can't wear that. But if, you know, you're seeing these kind of dudes, they're the funny guy. Like, why not? Like, um, so it was fun and it was, it turned out to be a, a success online as well. Like, it sort of creates a bit of, creates a bit of content for a few weeks um it's you know we've now got a community that's more valuable than than any sort of dollars could bring um like we we value our like following our community more than anything in the business um and we we always have this focus of we've got to look after the people that are already in the tent um before we worry about anyone that's that's not there yet so um, it's um yeah. it's interesting for someone like me who's trying to start a business and i'm, I'm like you know, six months a year in mm. and um, everything that I see and everything that I look at community is really the critical part to mm. a business. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel like that's where rugby has gone um, badly in Australia for the last couple of years is they're trying to yeah. cater to people outside of our community yeah. rather than go, Hey, who are our people? Let's look after them. So yeah. was that a conscious decision by you guys to, to sort of create and cultivate that community? Or was it, something that just happened and then you've gone, oh, this is actually really smart and, you know, really valuable to us. Like, how did that work for you guys? It was, it was, it was definitely deliberate. 
um, it was. It was a bit of a study on, you know, other brands and how they'd gone and, you know, what were some massive companies that don't exist anymore? Why are they not around? Um, and a lot of them just, it sounds absurd, but a lot of the businesses that, you know, were massive five, 10 years ago aren't around because they grew too quickly. Um, and it, that sounds absurd to say. But it doesn't. Um, it doesn't as well because you kind of lose track of why you started. And exactly. And so, like for us, so um, someone who's been a really good sort of like business mentor for us, um, originally started with Adam, and now sort of myself is a guy called Andrew Rich, who was one of the founders of Mambo with Dare Jennings, um, and he's been sort of he's he's had a an influence on both Adam and myself over the years. Um, and the story of why we focus so heavily locally um, was off the back of Andrew and Adam sort of met with him one afternoon and they were going through plans of budgie and Andrew's like, what do you want to do? Like, where, where's this going, mate? Like, what are you going to do with this? And Adam's like, I want to, I want to go to the States. I want to get everyone in America all over this. And he's like, cool, sweet. Like, great plan. Um, you know, how much are you selling at the moment? And Adam was like, bit of a blunt question and he gave him a number um let's say at the time so let's say it's about 100 grand he goes i sold 100 grand worth of stock this year so I was, right cool your company doesn't even exist and adam was kind of like the fuck like that's a bit of a kick in the guts and he's like he's like your company don't even exist so why would anyone in america buy it when no one in sydney knows about your brand he's like you got to focus local um, and so literally from that point, it was, um, we focused on owning our own backyard and we yeah. literally took it as hyper-local as Manly Beach. Um, we got heavily involved in the rugby club, the cricket club, um, a lot of swim groups at Manly Surf Club and that sort of stuff. And then once we felt we had a good sort of foundation there, we sort of expanded it and it was like, let's Northern Beaches and let's do you know, the beaches of Sydney and then it sort of grew from there. Um, how, did you, how did you take it to the, obviously the rugby club's easy for you, but for the other local groups, is, was it a matter of just going to them and going, hey, this is what we do. Would you guys, are you interested or? Pretty, pretty much. And it was kind of like, again, it's like building a community. It's like you've got to provide something to them. Like why, why, would they, why would they want you on board if they're not getting something from it? So it's like as harsh as that sounds maybe. Um, but like we wanted to provide value to other people in our community. Um, and, you know, part of it was just because we, we love our community. Like both of us are, are manly boys. Um, so, so that was easy for us. Like we both knew a lot of people around the area. Um, yeah. You know, Adam's roommate is Stephen O'Keefe um, since they left uni. Um, so manly cricket player. Um, Sydney Sixers, New South Wales Blues, that sort of stuff. Has a couple of tests for Australia, so he's got his cricket network. He's like, I had my rugby network, and like, there's two big sports on the beaches. So we kind of just focused on where we could get like really low hanging fruit. Um, both of us grew up in surf clubs. Linny was at Palm Beach, I was at Freshie, um, and you know, people we've picked up over the years had their own sporting connections and community sort of circles, and you sort of rely on people like. People's our biggest asset. Like, yeah, manufacturing's great. Like we make here and um, marketing's good and that, whatever. But our, our biggest assets, our people, and like how ingrained each individual is within the company in their own little communities. Like, 
Um, and it sort of builds like an attachment to the brand. Um, but yeah, we, we really started locally and sort of built from that. So like when like, it's funny cause we've had people come to us in the past and like, um, what do you call them? Um, capital investment groups and whatnot. Yeah. And like, well, we can give you, you know, this much money and you'll grow it, you know, 200% for the next two years, three years or whatever. And I'm like, oh, what happens after that? Um, it's like I don't want to deal with that. It's a lot. Sounds like a lot of headaches. Like, yeah, <laughs> growing at a consistent rate for the next, you know, five to ten years is what appeals to us most. It's like we're not in a rush. Um, like Adam said it multiple times. It's like, well, he is the sole owner of the business. He doesn't plan on getting out anytime soon. Um, he's he's not driven by something like that. He's driven more by being able to provide value for people whether that's, you know, keeping manufacturing here and providing jobs um, or if it's just providing, you know, income and work for us, like meaningful work for our staff um, yeah. and, and comes back to the fact that he also just enjoys making things. Like Adam's probably one of the more hands-on owners of a, a company that I sort of have come across. Um, you know, he loves getting his hands dirty and, and what's the next product we're bringing out and stuff. So, um do you, yeah. do you think do you think that attitude's helped you guys? Because I'm like I'm I'm asking purely for selfish reasons because there's oh. there's a lot of people struggling with COVID at the moment, mm, trying to start their own businesses, and you know, kind of I, I see people who are trying to start a business to get to that payout rather mm. than to, to provide jobs and a service and to build a community. Like, so do you, do you think that that attitude has been a big influence for you guys? That's, I mean, that that's not saying that that like sort of um, goal or attitude is wrong at all. Um, like people do that all the time and they fucking nail it. Um, yeah. Like people sometimes fluke it where they make apps and things and like a huge business or like Google come in and buy it like fuck fantastic um but for those that don't really have like a point of difference or um yeah like something remarkable about the brand or the business that they're trying to build um whether it's like it's either got to be something real niche where you're answering a, you're solving a problem in the world say or the community um where like a lot of apps come into play like how do i get food delivered to my house so uber created an uber eats like that solves a problem yeah. Um, whereas you know in a say, take a retail brand for example like there's lots of people that that make clothes um like how how is one brand different to another um, um but yeah i think it comes back to like what's what's the business what's the company's why like why are you doing this like and for us our why um is just because um we enjoy making things um, and we like having a laugh. Um, we're not we're not doing this to make money. Um, that's just 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 a result of our why. Um, our, our why sort of is the basis of everything. Um, and you know, let's let's say it gets to a point where Adam's keen to sell it. Like, awesome. That's just a result of why he's doing this in the first place. Yeah. Um, so it, it depends. It depends what people want to get out of it. But you'll find that if um, that if the why is a, a more um, intangible thing, 
the tangible things become more valuable, if that makes sense. Like in oh, the end, like that's the result. 100%. You can, you can, I think human beings can see when, when you're not doing it for genuine reasons. And yeah, I, I, I feel if your intentions are good, I feel like that comes through. Definitely. Mate, talk, talk about expanding outside Manly. How, how did you attack that? Um, slowly. Um, yeah. We had, so obviously online, like you've got access to the world. Um, so we were sending orders globally. Um, we Even had, at, that, at, the, at that point? Yeah, yeah. And we were doing it really poorly. Um, like we, we used to send our orders. We used to walk to the post office in Manly and buy like packs of 10 um, post bags, walk back to the office and we'd handwrite the orders, like the addresses and whatever and send them out. We'd walk back to the post office to put them in the post box and whatever. Thankfully, it's a bit more sophisticated now. Um, but, yeah, sending stuff overseas was a bit of a hurdle. A, it was expensive. B, it was taking too long to get to places. And then you start talking about customs and import duties and stuff. And, like, these are things that so many people overlook until it happens. Um, so we, we saw that online, like, all our statistics and numbers that were coming through, that the UK um, was our second highest um, place for orders and traffic to the website. Um, and so that was that was the next frontier. Like, the, the big problems that were popping up was... It's too expensive for shipping to get there. So customers were essentially paying, um, say it's 50 bucks for a pair online, they'd almost have to pay 30, 35 Aussie dollars for the shipping if they wanted to ship. Might as well buy another pair. Um, And then on top of that, because their import duties, their levy is so high, oh, sorry, so low, they've got to pay another like 20, 30% on top of that just to get it in the country. They've got so to pay that to government. So it's working so it's out just like, over 100 bucks for a pair of... Yeah. And that was obviously our problem to solve because um, they're our customers. We're, like, we were here to solve problems. So the next frontier for us was to build a base in the UK. Made sense for a num- number of other reasons. Like if we're going to go overseas, you obviously want to start with an English-speaking um, place because that's that's the lowest hanging fruit. You don't have to learn a lot, another language or another culture. Um, and... The big sporting community was a big one for us. Like we're, we kind of pop up everywhere in rugby, um, and their rugby over there is, is massive. Like they've got they've got clubs and divisions coming out of their ass. Like there's so many of them. Um, so that was that was kind of it for us. We were kind of like, yep, sweet, let's do this. Um, Adam at the time had not worked full time for Budgie yet. He was still working for AIM mentoring, um, and we had this we had this operation set up running pretty smoothly um and he's always at the time he kind of said there's no point me coming in and demanding the best car park now um i'll I'll go overseas and i'll set up uk so he pretty much more or less copy paste how we started budgie here minus you know the learning or additionally to the learnings that were made so none of the same mistakes were made um and he he kind of grew it from there and that's where we've got four full-time staff now um and one now in France. Um, you, yeah. You just mentioned that you had some mistakes. Um, something I've been looking at in my own life and a lot of the people around me is the concept of failure. And like, mm. I, I actually think failure is critical to success because that's how you learn. Can mm. you can you recall without going into whatever detail you can? 
But any yeah. any like mistakes or failures that you guys had that sort of set you up for later success? Yeah, thank, thankfully there's been there haven't been too many like massive ones where we like sit back and cry and we go fuck we just ruined the business. Thankfully there's been nothing like that, but we've we've flown um, unnecessary cash on things that haven't worked in the end. Um, yeah. There's, there's, there was one campaign we did around the Brexit sort of stuff, um, and I'm almost certain no one saw it. Um, but we we had a PR company come to us and we're like, "This is a good idea." We kind of looked at it and we're like, "Yeah, it's pretty funny." Ended up costing us like fifty to seventy grand in in just raw cost, not even our people time. Um, like we wrapped a bus with um, like, uh, "Don't worry about what was it." Leave, uh, leaving the EU, question mark, come join the AU. Um, and it was like this whole thing around, don't worry about the Europe, you don't need them. Australia's yeah. got you covered. It was kind of just a, a bit of a piss take, but it ended up costing us so much. And like, we'll promise the world by this PR company. Great, look, great campaign, but the result was was minimal. Like we could have spent that, you know, advancing our manufacturing um, or, you know, we could have hired, we could have hired someone else for that and they could have run a, a different campaign for 12 months. Like, in is, is that, um, so you look at something like that and like something that really interests me about like reasonably large businesses is if you're paying for a campaign, do you, how do you sort of judge whether it's successful or not? Is it purely on the returns or is it, you know, following or? How do you guys look at that? Yeah, so the the easy stuff to measure is obviously the stuff that comes through the website. Um, And because we've had such consistent growth over the years, we kind of know when there's a bit of an anomaly happening. Um, Like this time of year, for example, like we're in a bit of a dip at the moment. But if we suddenly start seeing spikes, like there's something weird going on, like it's not just happening for no reason. Um, So we, we look for those whenever we do something like that. Um, the, you know, measurements of orders, dollars um, and traffic to the website. They're the three sort of main ones. Um, the other sort of that we look at is, you know, put a measurement on um, purely the quantity of sort of press that would come out of it. So if there's a couple of articles written, um, how much reach was there online? If we're talking social pages, um, you know, news.com and Lad Bible and pedestrian TV and those things, do they pick it up? you know, what's their following and whatever. So they're kind of less measurable, but still measurable. Um, and then you start going into the awareness side of it. It's like you can't you can't really measure that. Um, it's really measured in pub chat. Like if someone mentions it at the, bar, at the pub to their mate, it's not a measurement, but like you can kind of get a vibe and you're like, oh, at least someone heard about it kind of thing. And that's, yeah. that's where it gets really difficult. And so like you see you see like big, big um, like multinational businesses with their billboards and TV ads and whatnot. It's like, how do you, how do you measure it? There's the old yeah. saying that like someone doesn't make, like if they've never bought from the brand before, you know, it takes them at least like three, um, three or four uh, like encounters with the brand before they start recognizing it properly. Um, and that could be hearing it on the radio radio, seeing it on the TV and then driving past a bus ad um, before they actually start recognising the brand. Um, but, like, it's, it's so hard to measure. Um, so you kind of got to hit it from all angles and then just yeah. sort of look into it as much as you can and 
Yeah. So and being, being so small, like we've always focused on where we can get an immediate return. As like, we don't, we, we didn't have the time, the resources to stuff around with um, like things that we couldn't measure. Um, so we've literally just been spending most of our time on where we can see a clear and like deliverable result. Um, you know, you look at, this is the beauty of online. Like you can see where clicks come from. You can see where orders come from. Like it's, it's, it's black and white. It's in the data. Um, so we, we've focused heavily on that um, for the past like few years. Um, but we kind of always also focus on like getting multiple wins. Like, you know, say, um, you know, we say we bought a van um, that we needed for deliveries. Like, we bought an old Australia Post van. It's massive. It's awesome. Um, I, think I've seen, I think I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. So we wrapped it in a stupid print. We wrapped it in a, um, a donut print initially, and now it's a rubber duck print. But like, not only is that now facilitating our orders pickups, it's also a rolling billboard. Yeah. Um, that van also gets used for the pop-up events that we go to at surf clubs and, you know, uh, sevens tournaments and whatnot. So it's like, it's serving multiple purposes. It's more than one win. Like it's not just a van that we drive to the warehouse. Um, so like those sort of little things as well is kind of where we focus. Like, you know, if we, if we partner up with say a, a team or a club of some sort, um, like, yeah, it's great to have our logo on the back of their Jersey or something. Um, but you know, at the same time, like that can't be the only win. Like there's got to be multiple that come from it. It's like, is there a community that gets built on top of that? Um, say, is there, you know, who are the local businesses that are involved in that club? Are they going to order maybe custom swimwear for their staff for Christmas? Or like a couple of different measurable results, more than just what's black and white um, is where we kind of focus our attention um, or what we sort of aim to get. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you have a job? Well, sorry, were you in business before starting a budgie smuggler? Did you ever work in any other industries or businesses? Um, so I just finished, pretty much just finished uni at the time. Um, and so mainly just casual jobs, but we got into a, so I was doing like surf education stuff on the beach. Um, at Manly, we'd take high school groups and like the later primary school groups um, teach them about surf safety and that kind of stuff. Um, and the other one was myself, um, you know, Harry Bergeland. Um, we were helping a bloke at Manly Bowling Club run his barefoot bowls events, um, mostly in Arvos and weekends. Um, and look, to be honest, we didn't see too much of the actual business side of it. It was more the entertainment side, like, you know, talking to big groups of people. We'd have groups of 50 um, on Friday afternoons for corporate lunches and stuff. Um, they're like talking to big groups of people and sort of like directing people around and just running an event style thing. But that was really my only proper experience and the rest of it. I mean, I was so fortunate with the timing. Like so fortunate with the timing that I was able to just fall into a very, very casual job at Budgie at the same time that it was just about to start growing um yeah so whether it's a whether it's a coincidence or not um or it's the result of someone coming on board but we'll never know I, I, the reason i ask is because you know you've basically learned this business from the ground up and seen where and it's that's, what I'm, that's what i'm getting at yeah 
did you have yeah so like i wouldn't have had that experience ever sorry yeah but that's what i mean like how how much have you had to learn over this period of time and did you apart from the mambo guy did you have any other mentors that that helped you and did you ever reach out to people for advice and like like how did you navigate that because that's that's a pretty massive thing to learn for a young guy who's never really had any other business experience does that make sense yeah yeah definitely um there, there've been a few people um that have that have sort of popped in and out and have, you just sort of pick things up um along the way um but uh, to be honest a lot of it is just learning on the run um and like you know, a lot of my job now is like solely just around our our people, um, the brand we're trying to build, the people we're trying to recruit or like develop, um, and our, just our systems on how the place runs. Um, whether that's here or in the UK or in France, it's all it's all similar sort of stuff. Um, but I mean, like take COVID for example. Last year was like no one's encountered that, so there was no one to lean on for what to do there and it was literally just like just trying to wing it and go I'm, I'm just trying to make the best decision I can while keeping people in mind and the business in mind I was like how do I get a win out of this or at least the least amount of damage um, like COVID was the hardest thing for, for me because like I we're all it's, it's, it's a tight group you know on top of the 11 full-time staff, we've got, you know, another 11 to 15 casual staff. Um, and, you know, last year we pretty much had to tell all of our casual staff, sorry, you, you don't have a job for the time being. I, I don't know when you can come back. Um, but here's the government stuff they said you can apply for. It's like, and that's it. Like, that was, like, heartbreaking to say that to people who, like, I've helped grow as human beings um and then at the same time we've got our full-time staff who just have not like so many questions and like they're all we're all the similar age like uh, there's two or three that are older than me by a couple of years but they're, they're still looking to me for an answer and like i'm just going like I, I don't really know what to do here um you know we ended up making some really tough decisions but ended up doing it as a group where you know, and so many people would have gone through this. So I know we're not alone, um, but like, you know, to the point where staff, full-time staff were taking pay cuts just to get the business through. Um, and, you know, at the time, an indefinite time period um, where, um, yeah, some some businesses definitely didn't get through that. Um, yeah, the, the learning on the run has been has been the biggest teacher of anything like i've always said to adam as well i was like matt i'd love to go do some more study and what not and like a lot of his response is like why like essentially you are doing a business course every day um you're not going to learn this kind of stuff from a textbook or an online course or from a lecturer um you might pick up some things here and there but you're, you're learning every day um as running a, a small business that's now turning into like a small to medium um, kind of thing. So yeah, the learning on the run has been the biggest teacher of, of anything. Um, what did you learn about business and people from the last little period of time uh, within the last year? Has that, has that improved 
um, your skills as a business person and a leader, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think the, the biggest thing I learned with dealing with, like, obviously it's a really shit situation and like, and no one, no one really knew what to do if we're talking COVID specifically. Um, but I found the easiest thing, which was a, not, it wasn't, it wasn't hard. It was more just like, it, it wasn't common for people to do. It was just to have an open conversation with our staff. And it was just a, a conversation around, like I really don't know what to do here we're gonna have to like pitch in and it's gonna suck for a bit of time like I don't want to do this but I think this is what we need to do what are your thoughts and you kind of like include people in the like the really hard decision making because if you know flip that around let's say it's just an internal conversation in my head or with Adam or whatever and we both agree that we're going to cut staff wages imagine walking into a room to Staff and saying, sorry guys, um, even though you're not working at the moment, oh sorry, because you're not working at the moment, we're gonna cut your salaries by 30% or something. Like that conversation is so different to to how it was. Um, and I'm thankful, I'm happy we did it the way we did it, because people really responded um like well to it. Like they they were really receptive. Um they were understanding, like um, yeah, tran- transparency was a big one for me. There's like learning how to run a business and a team was just, you just need to have these open conversations, even though they could be awkward. Um, but like they're conversations that are more necessary. Um, imagine if it was an email, even worse. I'm um, sure people, I'm sure people did do that, by the way. hundred percent. And that's the thing. So like now my, my own, um, I don't know, call it a, a motto, it's not a motto. My own sort of internal process now is that the, the more awkward or the more serious a conversation is, the more it needs to be done in person. Um, and like I'm talking like face-to-face, um, sit down in a private room and make it personal and just explain situations and give all the context you can possibly give. Um because that ultimately, like, people respect people respect honesty, um, and yeah, the the tough conversations are always tough. But like, it, it feels amazing after on both sides of the fence because the person other person leaves the the room going, fuck, he actually he actually cares. He he yes. told me everything, and he told me things he didn't have to tell me. Like, yeah, it's it's just the transparency with especially with a team of people is, was the biggest thing I learned in the last few sort of months and say 18 months. Um, I think you and I have both been in rugby teams where coaches will drop a player and then not really give them a straightforward answer as to why, mm. you know, countless mm. times. Whereas if someone goes, you didn't do this well, you didn't do that well, you need to do this better and, and mm. you'll get back in the team. That's a very different way of going, yeah, text message you were dropped kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I won't, mate, I won't take up too much more of your time. That's I'm really, really grateful for this. I've, I've learned heaps already. As you look back, were there any sort of big moments where you've gone like, like holy fuck type moments for lack of a better way of describing it? Like mm-hmm. even my own little journey, I've had a couple already. Where I'm going, fuck, I'm, you know, I'm starting to get there. Did, did you guys have anything like that? Um, 
it usually happens around Christmas every year. <laughs> um, and it's like, it's, it's whenever we like reach a new milestone or um, something on those lines, like each, each Christmas is obviously our peak. And when we top the peak year on year, it's always like a, like a massive sense of achievement. Like that's our grand final. That's our, yeah, that's our grand final. That's what we aim for every year. Do you write it down? And is that like a goal that you guys aim for, just to be better than the previous year? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, and like, there's a you know, there's a big tick in the box, and it's like this is awesome. Like, think back to you know, well, myself eight years ago. It's like we'll get more orders in a day in December than we did in like a whole month back when I first started. Like, the, it's changed so much, and like those sort of moments happen. A, like a couple of times a year with this growing business. Yeah. Um, and what, I mean, one was recently when we moved to this warehouse. So we used to have an office being run out of an apartment in Manly. We had a small warehouse in Brookvale where um, our orders were sent and our stock was held. Um, and like, even then we were kind of like, this is a sick operation. Look at us go. This is fun. Business Look at us running a business. Yeah. Um, and then, like, moving to this place now, um, we have a whole warehouse downstairs. We have a whole distribution facility downstairs. Um, upstairs, we have office space for, I mean, we've only, like I said, we've only got 11 or 12 staff. There's enough space up here for 30 or 40 people. Um, but, like, walking into this place when we first sort of got it, we were like, fuck, this is actually a real business. Like, before was was we were taking the piss. Like, now this is getting to a point. And... I mean, the reality is there's, there's way bigger companies than what we've, we've got here. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping we, we keep having these moments as we go. And it's what keeps people here as well. Like, they get to experience this. Like, this is why we've kept the team we've had for so long and why we keep adding great people to it is because they want to be part of something that's growing and, like, they can contribute to it. So, um, yeah, there's, there's been a few moments like that. You know, what's been interesting about that is you just sort of focused on the people side and the, the growth of the business rather than, I think I saw the last Rugby World Cup, every single team was where budgie smugglers. Mm. You know, and to me, that would be a, a holy fuck moment. But the, awesome. the actual, but the people side of it is is more important. Mm, definitely, definitely. Like, I guess that sort of stuff comes off the people stuff. Like, we've, we've built relationships with people, like rugby players around the world just just because they've, they've popped up and we sort of make an effort to engage with them and ask them about their life and whatever. It's not just like, hey, bro, here's a pair. Can you post something for us? Yeah. Um, it's more about like, so specifically in London, um, Jimmy, who looks after the UK office, is really good at the people side of things. Um, you know, he'll jump on a, a train for an hour or two and head up to Newcastle um, to have a beer with like, a footy player up there and just talk to them and whatever. Like it's those little things that make a big difference, which was how we were able to get pairs to all of the world cup players. Um, two years ago, last year, last year. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Which is why we were able to get pairs to those sorts of people. Um, but it, it all, it all comes off the back of people. Like um, yeah, that, that's where we focused our main attention. We just want to make people feel something. Um, we don't want people just opening a packet and they've got a pair of swimwear like added to the drawer of all the free shit they get. Yeah. Um, like yeah. We, want to, we want to feel something when they open it, whether that's a professional rugby player or um, people like you and I just 
you know, running around park footy and or coaching or whatever, just everyday people that want swimwear. Um, yeah, we've always kind of focused on the people. What's the grand plan for Budgie Smuggler, if there is one? Good question. So each year we sit down and sort of map out the next, sorry, every three years we map out like a three-year plan and then following on every year we sort of map out the following 12 months to get to that three-year plan. So we just set our 2024 goals um, three months ago and it includes things like, um, uh, it includes things like uh, we'll have three more stores in Australia um, you know, we'll have a store in London, whether that's a combined store and office set up. Um, we'll have another one in France. Um, we want to have like manufacturing under our own roof. Like, so say if this place we're currently in now is big enough, you know, we'd have machines running downstairs making things. Like, it's all incremental things. It's not like, um, you know, well, I mean, yeah. I was about to say it, but we do want to get there at some stage. Like, we, at some stage, we want to provide all the Olympic uniforms. Like, and that's that's not just swimwear. Like, we want to go everything. Um, like, we, we just, like I said, we enjoy making things. We're going to find a way to make more than just swimwear, um, which we have done. We've just made, um, a, like, some socks, like cotton uh, merino wool socks made in Australia, um, which isn't common anymore. We've just made underwear. Our first batch of Australian-made underwear, we've just figured out how to make. Um, so, yeah, going, like, there's no... 2030, 2050 sort of plan of like Budgie's going to be, uh, you know, 12, 14 figure company. <laughs> um, it'll, it's just an incremental thing. So we, we plan it three years ahead um, and we, we keep those goalposts sort of set and that's what we drive towards. We kind of pick our head up from time to time and look a little bit further ahead, but then head back down and we're, we're sort of aiming for those sort of things. So um, yeah, there's there's no um, well, there is a bit of world domination plan in there, but yeah, it'll it'll be incremental and built around people. Hey, let's let's um, finish on this last one that I, I always ask everyone. But what advice would you give eighteen year old BJ? That is a good question. Um, why, why it's so enjoyable or why it's so easy for me to stay. Like I've been at, at this, in this role in this business now for eight years. And like, that's a long time. Like for a lot of people, um, it's like two generations before me, like people were staying in jobs way longer than that. But our current generation, they'll, they'll stay in a job for three, maybe four years and jump ship and move on to something else. The reason I've stayed... And it's not like I've, I've wanted to leave ever, but one of the biggest reasons why I think I'm still here is just because I enjoy it. Um, so 18-year-old Brendan is either, um, if you wanted to have a better crack at footy, get fit. Um, but if not, and business is the way to go, um, then it's got to be something that you enjoy because um, you spend 70% of your life doing it. Um, so, yeah. Mate, I've... I've enjoyed the hell out of this, mate. Thank you so much. Awesome. No, thank you. It's been, I love telling the story. I, I really enjoy it. Well, I didn't I didn't know half of that. I've done a little bit of research, but I, I try not to do too much because I, I find it just guides the conversation too much. And, cool. you know, if you let things flow, you tend to learn more, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mate, I'll, hopefully we'll see you guys again this year. Hopefully.
Hopefully. Hopefully. Are, are you hearing how they're going to do it all or is there? Not really. It's um, I've said, I, only from the articles that pop up, like Goldie's, Goldie's Rogue suggestion. Nice. I saw that. I like that, actually. <laughs> it's not bad. It's a way for everyone to actually stay interested. Man, this um, is the, the Manly South Grand Final. I can see it now. <laughs> <laughs> it would be um, decent. Mate, thank you so much. I, I really, really appreciate your time. And um, catch you soon, bro. No dramas. Thanks, bro. Anytime. I'll catch you, mate. I'll, this will, I'll let you know when this is out. Probably be a couple of weeks. And no dramas. Just let you know. Awesome. Mate, enjoy. That was Thanks, good. Mate. I enjoyed that. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode or any of our episodes, please make sure to subscribe um, on your preferred podcasting platform. Currently we're on YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And please make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Wandering Bear Sports. Until next week, wishing you and yours all the best and we'll see you next week.